Great to see you. Um, I, uh, I, I, like Lindsay said, part of this message is a testimony in my own life, uh, and and that's the best kind of messages is when you got to live it out a little bit. Um, and uh, I might, you know, I might get a little bit preachy. I might get a little teachy, um, wherever the the spirit leads me. But because um, I I feel like there's something that's fired up inside of me because, like I said, I've experienced this. It's uh, it's something that I, I I can tell you for a fact. It's true. It's something that I've uh, I I'm not just I'm not just telling you just because I read it somewhere or there's a nice book about it, but because I've lived it. I've lived it out. So. Um, can we pray together really quick? Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that you've anointed me for this this time. You've anointed me with a message. You've anointed me with the words to speak. And as I speak, Lord, I, I, I surrender everything to you. If you want to take the message in another direction, I surrender that to you. But, Lord, I just want to be a vessel, a vessel of honor for you. And I want this message to touch the hearts of New Life Church and anybody who's watching online. Lord, I just want them to be touched by it. That is my heart to serve you, to to uh, to serve your people in Jesus' name, Amen. So, my message tonight is called battle tested, and um, it's 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 so awesome when you here. I'm going to go down the line a little bit here. So, I, I like I like boxing a little bit. I'm kind of a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Not all out boxing fan. I couldn't tell you every single fighter. But I, I like to watch it. I'm kind of casual, casual about it. That's a good word. So if, if, if now I think there's probably a lot of people in here who don't watch boxing. Maybe Daniel's watched a little bit. But everybody in here probably knows who Muhammad Ali is. Everybody probably knows who Mike Tyson is. And there's all these great fighters. There's all these awesome fighters like Joe Frazier, all these guys. Um, and, and one thing they all have in common, and it's kind of funny, is none of them are undefeated. Have you ever have you ever thought about that? There's actually there's actually great fighters like Floyd Mayweather who went their entire career, uh, who went completely undefeated, never lost a fight. But what's funny is he'll never be in the tier of the Mike Tyson's or the the Muhammad Ali's. And there's one thing that separates them, and that's that people, any boxing pundit or anybody like that, what they'll tell you is Floyd May Mayweather never had the kind of battles that never he never really fought the kind of fighters that Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali fought, or, or uh, what's the guy who made the grill? George Foreman. George Foreman. I, can I have some water? My mouth's a little dry. Um, but there's one thing that they all have in common. They're, they're, none of them are undefeated. Isn't that kind of funny? Uh, there's kind of this there's perfection mentality with sports and things like that, but none of them are undefeated. Some of our, uh, when, when it comes to music, this is my favorite favorite compliment. If I ever receive one, this isn't a pat on my back, but if I go to a church, say in like Louisiana, um, and a person of another race comes up to me and says, "Man, you don't sound you don't sing like a white guy," that is my favorite compliment, hands down, hands down, and 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 it's because. It's because white people don't sing with soul the way white people do. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. But there's something about, there's some, some sort of draw to people that sing with soul. And, and why is it? It's because when they sing, they kind of sound like they've gone through the thing that they're singing about. They sound like they went through something. They sound like they've experienced something. Um, it, it, it's funny because you can listen to a perfectly classically trained voice and you're like, oh, 
boring, boring. That guy had dedicated his entire life. He sang perfectly. He never went off pitch. But it's boring. Don't like it. Um, there's all these sports films. We, we love the underdog. We love the warrior. We love the comeback story. Actually, going to boxing right now, the most famous boxer in the world right now is a guy named Tyson Fury. And his, his big testimony, it's actually, it actually is a testimony, is he was, he was kind of at the top of the boxing world. And then he, he got into drug addiction and, and started dealing with some depression and things like that. And gained all this weight, gained like 100 pounds, just, just got way off and, and started getting into addictions and things like that. And then he, he made a comeback. He had to fight the top, the top prospect in the world this guy named Deontay Wilder, and he had to come back and, and get back in shape. And we watch him physically get back into shape, although he still has a total dad bod. But that's neither here nor there. Boxing, it doesn't really matter too much. So, I mean, he's, he, but he gets back into shape. He gets off his drugs, and, and he gets into this fight. And people aren't giving him a chance in the world because Deontay Wilder, he just, he's one of those guys that he punches you one time, and you're done. You're out. You're out. Well, Turns out Tyson Fury comes out of the fight, and he's whooping Deontay Wilder's tail. Sorry, I said tail again. Man, three years later. Uh, so, so he's whooping him. He's whooping him. And then all of a sudden, Deontay Wilder just lets this little little punch go, and and Tyson hits the hits the floor. And it's funny because he hit the floor, and he was out. I mean, he was on his face like this, like completely laying down, face down. And his, his arms were behind him and everything. And then all of a sudden, it was like, bam, life hit him. And at the eight-second mark, he jumped up. I kid you not. He went from that guy's dead to, holy cow, he's, he's on his feet. He's on his feet. And because he did that, he still stuck it out the rest of the fight. He won that fight. And that's, like, that's the most famous guy in the boxing world right now. The guy that overcame it, and what's cool about it is there is a testimony in that because he gave Jesus all the glory after he did it. And it was almost spiritual watching this guy. I, I urge you to look it up. Tyson Fury uh, versus Deontay Wilder knockdown. Amazing. I mean, the dude is gone. And then all of a sudden, bam. It was like, it was almost like the Holy Spirit hit him or something. Um, I maybe won't go that far, but what I will say is it was, it was pretty miraculous. And he gave all the glory to God. Now, here's the thing is we love battle-tested people. We love things that can go through something and, and still take a beating and still survive because those are the things that are actually strong enough to go through a battle. I mean, the, the, the big argument in the truck world is Toyota, Chevy, Ford, whatever it is thing is, everybody had a truck, and they beat it to death, and that was the one that they trust now. Buddy loves Dodges. He maybe doesn't, he, you're not too hard on trucks, but you love Dodges. He will forever drive a Dodge, because he has had a great experience with one. Um, but we've kind of had this thing going on, and even in the Word of Faith movement, and uh, w where people think that Christians aren't really supposed to struggle. Or we're not really supposed to, like, you're, you're lacking in faith. If, if the devil, if, if there's any kind of negative thoughts that come against you, you're lacking in faith. And the trouble with that is we're absolutely promised. We're promised tribulations. We're promised challenges. We're promised these things. Um, and I likened it. I was telling my wife the other day, it's like 
my, my brother, my brother can lift three, uh, 405 pounds. He bench pressed 405 pounds. That's a lot of weight. But here's the thing is if you watch somebody for the first time push out, my brother can push up 225 easy. Most people can't do it once. He can do it 225 easily. But if you watch some kid who's like 18 years old or something do 225 for the first time, and they're struggling through it, and they're powering through it, for some reason, that struggle, that, that overcoming, just seems so much more impressive than when, you're, when some guy goes, bam, 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 and lifts it 30 times. You know what I'm saying? It's, they overcame something. They overcame a challenge. They overcame a struggle. And, and what's funny is that person going, bam, 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 and, and pushing the weight up really fast, they're not going to experience growth. But that kid who, who pushed through, pushed through, physiologically is actually going to gain much more growth because he powered through something. He went close to failure is what they call it, right? So I want to talk about going close to failure. I want to talk about dry times. I want to talk about, Buddy knows all about the wilderness. Well, I've talked about this with him before. About John Bevere has a great study about it, but we'll, I'll expound upon that later. But I want you to understand that the challenges are going to come, but I don't want you to be discouraged by them. I don't want you to be discouraged by dry seasons. Um, so as Christians, we are meant to overcome great trials and tribulations. That means we are to face great trials and tribulations. The belief that Christians should never struggle or feel challenged leads to believers feeling discouraged when things aren't going their way, as if a lack of faith is causing what you're going through. What's funny is that's the opposite of what the word says. The word says that when you are of great faith, that there are things that are going to come after you. The, the devil's going to try to, he's like a roaring lion. He wants to come after you. Um, but that is, that is contrary to what we believe, right? Because this is New Life Church. We're an overcoming church. We are a church that, that is made for the, such a time as this. And I believe such a time as this, we are... We are need to be battle tested we need to be brought into a place where we can take on challenges and trials and tribulations and we beat the snot out of them and we don't get discouraged by it so paul uh this is this is acts 14 22 paul right before this verse was beaten within an inch of his life everybody thought he was dead and dragged out of antioch right he took a quick little detour, went back to Antioch. And this is what he said. Um, Strengthening and establishing the hearts of the disciples, encouraging them to remain firm in the faith, saying, it is through many tribulations and hardships that we must enter the kingdom of God. So actually, we enter the kingdom of God through tribulations. Um, I, 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 I think it's so dangerous to, to go into a place of you're, you're never going to struggle. God's always going to provide for you. Everything's going to be easy. If you, if you do it by faith, everything's, nothing's a challenge. Nothing's, nothing's hard on you. When it actually says, Paul was saying, you won't even enter the kingdom of God except through tribulations. That's why he also says, take joy when you face tribulations because you're on the path to the heavenlies. You're on the path to the kingdom, Right? That's, that's, that should be our mindset as we get excited about it. That's where the overcoming happens. It isn't in 
it isn't in, wow, my life's going pretty darn great right now. Uh, God, God must be working for me. God must be working on my behalf. I haven't had any challenges. My family's great. My money's great. Everything's perfect. God's doing his, he, he has so much, so much to do with what's going on in my life right now. And we do want to give thanks for those things. Those things are awesome. It's a blessing when our life goes well. But that is so contrary to what he's saying right here. We should get excited when the challenges come because that, that means that we're doing something right. So this is 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 5. We're just going to strengthen the whole trials and tribulations struggle thing here real quick. But we commend ourselves in every way as servants of God in great endurance and sufferings and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and riots and labors and sleepless nights and hunger. Wow. Um, th- this is, this is we're, we're destroying a sacred cow here because here's the thing is if, if, if when we did an altar call <laughs> and, we, and we showed people this verse, it wouldn't be very inviting. But I do think the church has, uh, I, I saw a John Christ video. This is, it's hilarious. He's talking about, it's, it's getting too easy to get saved now. And of course he's saying that, you know, as a joke, but he was like back in my day and like the Billy Graham days, you, you know, they'd have an altar call, they'd call you down, you'd, you'd put your hands out in front of, you know, in front of your peers so that everybody knows. And that's actually scriptural. It does say to, you know, in front of everybody, you, you are making a, a vow to God basically. And so, He's, he's, he said, yeah, we used to be called down, and then it kind of evolved into just raise your hand, everybody keep your eyes closed, nobody look around, this guy is secretly getting saved, the only one who knows about it is the pastor who has his eyes open, and whoever is, you know, deciding to peep. Um, and then now what they're doing, and it's, it's pretty funny to me, is uh, he said he went to this meeting, and they had a text to save. It's so funny. So they, but they said, everybody pull out your phones so that way nobody knows which one is texting to get saved. So they had them all pull out their phones to text to get saved. And I'm just like, man, we're in the times of revelation and yet we're, we're, we're getting these whitewashed Christians. You know, I want to at least set people up for success, right? I want to set people up to know what this is about. It says, this isn't for the faint of heart. This isn't for the weak-hearted. We, we have to get so much stronger if we believe that we're this, this end times church. You know, uh, Ms. Debbie was talking about it. She, she, was, what, she prophesied that we're going up to new places, that we're elevating, that we're elevating. And I'm going to expound upon it in a minute. But whenever you elevate, whenever you upgrade in, in the eyes of God, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to go through. So... What is the point of going through these things? Refinement. Refinement. It's that simple. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8. And this you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable... Gold and 
or even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in your praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not even see him now, you believe and trust in him. And you greatly rejoice and delight with inexpressible and glorious joy. So the two, two words I want you to, two main things I want you to focus on is we can't see him. And the revelation, the revelation. That's a heavy word that's going to come in later. I want you to focus on that. But also having the inexpressible joy, the, the, the happy joy time. We're talking about a horrible situation where we can't see God. We're talking about being far away from God, and yet there's joy. Okay. I love Jesus, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, so we know how great God is, but there comes a time when we have to discover the genuine, uh, genuine sense of our own faith. Do we love God and not forget his benefits, or do we love God because of his benefits? So, the wilderness. This is so great. So there's a... Uh, most of y'all should have the X Messenger app by now if you're in the men's or the ladies group, um, and that is with John Bevere. And kind of going into the testimony side of this thing is I've, you know, I've, I've been dealing with or I've went through this wilderness period in my life in this last year. Some real challenges. And, um, and John Bevere has a book called God, Where Are You? Kind of a controversial title because... You know, everybody's like, well, he's right there. He's all, he's all around us, you know. Um, and that's absolutely true. But there are times, especially when you read Psalms, David talks about, God, I, I don't know where are you. Why are you hiding your face from me? All, all my enemies are coming up against me. And, and, and now, now you decide to hide yourself. That, that's so, it feels so contradictory to the common uh, grace-filled church where, where, where God is all around us all the time. He's, he's always near us, and I absolutely believe, you know, we sang a song called Halls of Heaven. We're, we're running after him. We can run into his presence at any given time. That's absolutely true. But there comes a time when we have to upgrade. We have to go through the wilderness, and it, and it's, it seems challenging. It seems kind of like we're forsaken or we're, we're, left, we're left hanging, but I, I guarantee you, I can show you right now why that isn't true. So, the refinement process often begins in the wilderness. In the wilderness, the only thing that can quench your thirst uh, or fill your belly is God. You starve for his presence out of a desire to fill your belly. You pursue the bread of life. It's funny. Hungry, hungry and thirsty people can do some crazy stuff to get food, right? You're, you're willing to go as far as you got to go. You're willing to sit in a Whataburger line for 45 minutes. You're willing to do whatever you got to do. You will sit in a restaurant and be like, to bring the food anytime now just because you want to fill your belly, right? Well, uh, to those who seek and search for God with all their heart, he will reveal himself. Now, going to my own testimony with this this year, um, it, it, it's, it kind of reached in all different areas and different facets of my life. Um, but at the beginning of last year, I started working for a, a roofing company. I had switched companies. Uh, the company I was with previously didn't like that I was working for the church, too. They didn't want me to do part-time roofing. So I went with a company that uh, one of my subs told me. He said, these guys are trustworthy. They're awesome. They, they treat their clients really well, and they treat their, 
their, uh, their roofers really well. I was like, okay, that sounds good. Uh, so I start working for this company. They start sending me out on leads. I'm, I'm making sales, you know, kind of part-time sales. So I'm, I'm doing like one or two a month, not much. And um, all of a sudden, and they said, we'll, we'll schedule your clients. We'll call your clients for you after, after you sign the contracts and collect the checks from them. It's like, okay, that's, that's pretty normal for a contractor. Um, so start doing all the work, start getting all these things together. And months down the road, kind of slowly but surely, they keep telling me that there's going to be all these delays because the economy's bad and that the supplies are down. I was like, hmm, sound, sounds a little odd. All of a sudden, I start having homeowners say, hey, nobody from your company ever contacted me after you signed the contract and picked up the check. So I had accumulated all these clients, and I'm the only person that they ever saw from the company. So I start getting calls. I start getting threats. I start getting uh, text day, day. The first thing I wake up every morning and the, first thing and, the, and the last thing I saw every night was a threat from a client. Or, uh, you know, hey, I can't pay my kids' hospital bills. That was one of them. I can't pay my kids' hospital bills because we're having to go out of pocket for the roof now. Um, all these people threatening me, and the company stopped contacting me. And, and the worst part about it and I, is I would, I would stay up, and I, I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. And I, I, would, I would look over at my wife, and I'd say, I just can't stand the feeling that there's 12 families out there right now that wish I was dead, that, that think that I, I totally uh, messed up their lives. That's just the worst feeling in the world, that I, I was made to be a false witness in front of people. Some of these people, I, I, I talked with them about God, um, and that was the worst feeling in the world. And then but what started happening out, out of that as well is I, I was accumulating all these failures, because um, even, even as I was selling for that company, I wasn't selling well, and then what I saw, started seeing happening, it was, it was funny, it was, I was pursuing God in a way I've never pursued before. I felt so full of the Spirit, I'd, you know, I, the previous year, if I would go to a Holy Ghost meeting, I was like on fire, like, like more than ever. I, people were, I mean, I was, I would act silly, I was just, I was just happy, and I could, just like in a moment, I could be in full turmoil and just close my eyes and feel like I was in the presence of God. And then, as this went on, I, I, I would come to Lindsay and I'd be like, I'm, I am reading more than ever in the word. I'm reading about the word more than ever. I'm praying more than ever. I'm pursuing God in a way I've never pursued before. And, and, and this is coming right after feeling like, like I could run through a wall, you know, in the spirit. And all of a sudden, I was like, God, I can't. Where are you? You know, well, I, I, I can't access this anymore. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know what I need to do right now. And in the midst of, of accusations coming against me, in the midst of everything seeming so horrible, um, <laughs> the, there, was, there was the fear side of it. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't making that bulk income that, that paid my bills for that entire period of time. Um, I, basically, for a whole year, I was having. I'm now kind of in this catch-up period, and, and God's been good to, to to bless me in it. But I I just I felt so alone. I was like, where's where's the provision? I mean, it, it, especially in the roofing area, I would 
there were times where I didn't have enough time because I was working on church work, and I wasn't getting a lot of clients. So I'd, I'd literally pray. I'd hop in my truck. I'd drive into a neighborhood I've never really knocked in before. I'd say, God, you're going to have to show me exactly what house to go to because I don't have time to knock this whole neighborhood. And he'd literally take me, and I'd be like, it was like a flashing light. And I'd go to the one house, and, and I'm telling you right now, you knock a whole neighborhood, you'll get maybe like two people to answer the door and say, yes, get on my roof. I would go to that exact door, and I was like, where's all this favor? Where's all that favor that I had before? Where's all the, where's all the goodness I had before? Where, I felt so far away from him, and that, and that was so much worse. Feeling far away from him was so much worse than the, the financial junk or the, the, the legal junk. It was so much worse. I was like, God, I can't, because at least, at least if, if the financial situation is bad, I can get in your presence. And I love your presence. I love being near you. And so it was like this, this wilderness experience where everything was dry. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't access him the way I, I used to access him. So the wilderness, in a way, feels like a depravity of his presence. So this is, this is Psalms uh, 13, 1 through 6. This is David speaking. He's in a time of war. He's a in a time of turmoil. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart day after day? How long will my enemy exalt himself and triumph over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light, life to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. I mean, that's heavy. That's heavy. But somehow, I, man, I don't think I'm a better faith person than David. I'd love to be like David. David was a man after God's own heart. Um, and he was a man after God's own heart, and he was the one who, who, who couldn't seem to, to find God, who couldn't seem to. So if you're feeling, if you ever feel discouraged, just know you're in good company. And, and what I'm telling you right now is it's not, it's not a bad thing, but what, what I'm telling you is when you realize that you're in a time, a wilderness, it actually should build you up and encourage you because God's about to take you somewhere that he's never taken you before. So, like I said, know, know you're in great company. In the Bible, there are all these people who went through a wilderness journey right before their greatest part of their whole ministry. All these people. So here, here's one for example. John the disciple, he was exiled to Patmos, a deserted island. What did he do there? He wrote Revelation. He had a great revelation in the spirit, wrote Revelation. Paul received a revelation from much of the New Testament in the Arabian wilderness. He went off to the wilderness, wrote, wrote most of the New Testament. John the Baptist, the word of God came into John in the wilderness just before he went about performing baptism and repentance. Jesus was then baptized by John. Soon after, he was completely filled, and the Holy Spirit guided him into the wilderness. Right before he's about to do his greatest works. Right about, right, right before he's about to do his greatest works. And there's so many, so many, many more right? Moses, Abraham, they all went through a wilderness time, and there was great revelation at the end of it all. And 
it just can feel like you're, you're so deprived, but it, it's just not true. So uh, you are in good company. If you ever felt like you're in this place, you're in good company. Know how to identify your surroundings. So knowing the wilderness is a place for promotion and faith, it should be said that you aren't guided into the wilderness. Oh, sorry, the way I wrote this is weird. Knowing the wilderness is a place for promotion and faith uh, should, should help you. If you start saying, looking around, and you're like, okay, wait a second. I'm having a hard time here. God, God told me right before all this that he was about to take me into some new places. He told me right before this that I'm, I'm going to be promoted. I'm going to be taken to places, the, the, the places I've desired in my heart, right? And then all of a sudden, things kind of go dry. You might be in the wilderness. Um, but know that when you're in the wilderness, God doesn't take the faint of heart into the wilderness. He doesn't take victims into the wilderness. So, so let me just clarify, because there are a lot of people who are like, mm-hmm, I've been in a wilderness ever since I was two years old. You know, like, like my life sucks. You know, like, not you. You're not, you're not in the wilderness, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, but there, there are people like that. And I, but what I'm telling you is if you feel like you have been full of the Spirit, full of faith, you're, you, you're in the Word like you've never been in the Word before. You love God like you've never loved God before. You are living righteously before God. And everything still is dry. The provision doesn't seem to be there. God doesn't seem to be there. You're probably in the wilderness. Let's clarify that part because, you know, I don't think we have any of those people here. But what I am saying is that that can be the tendency is like, Things are starting to get bad. I'm in the wilderness. I'm, my life sucks now. So uh, the wilderness is a place that God takes you when he says you are ready to elevate. When the Holy Spirit guides you into the wilderness, that means that God trusts you. Now, when I, when I, was, when I was dealing with my own wilderness time, I was like, okay, God, why, why, does, why does it have to be this way? Like, why do you, why do you seemingly just, like, leave and, and say, I'm out, and you got to deal with it yourself. And I, what he showed me was like, like when my dad taught me to ride a bike. So I remember vividly, it's one of those core memories, when my dad took off, I remember he, he grabbed the wrench, and he took the, the uh, training wheels off my bike. And he showed me how to ride. And, you know, he, the first thing they do, a good dad, they hold hold the handle for a minute, right? They hold the handle for a minute. They're like, I'm right here. I'm right here. They lie to you a little bit. <laughs> and then they let go. And you might eat it. But what they're gonna, not going to do is they're not going to let you ride out into the road right in front of a car. They're not going to let you actually hurt yourself. But you might get a bump or a bruise, right? And what he's saying there, what dad is saying there is, hey, I trust you. You have learned to pedal, now you got to ride, right? And I'm not saying he does this permanently, but what I am saying is you want to take the training wheels off your faith. You want to take the training wheels off of what you've been doing because it, it just kind of feels easy. It just kind of feels easy. God is saying, I am here. I'm with you. I trust you. Now you have to go. And when you realize that in those times, God trusts you. He's wanting to promote you. He's, he, 
he thinks the best of you. He thinks that you're worthy of meeting some great task, like writing Revelation. I mean, uh, my goodness. Something, something so big as, as writing most of the New Testament. He's setting you up to do something so great that it impacts everybody around you. And that should be a huge goal of ours. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like kicking rocks, but it does, sure does feel like it. And, and, and to, to give anybody grace with it, to give myself grace with it, I was challenged with it. I said, man, I, I, I'm going to let y'all know I'm going to be transparent. I told Lindsay, I was like, I just don't know how in the world God loves me right now. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, you know, I read the, the scriptures. I know all the scriptures. I can quote the scriptures all day. It doesn't matter. I don't feel like God loves me. You know, I don't, I don't feel like he's there. And so the answer was, I did it, I, I did it anyway. I did it anyway. I gave praise. I, I, I experienced inexpressible joy. I chose joy. It wasn't joy that overtook me like in a Holy Ghost meeting. Somebody touches your head and you're, not like that. It was like, I can't be moved anymore by the world. I don't even care anymore. The things of this world don't challenge, don't bother me anymore. They challenged me, but I've won. And so you, you, start, you start nearing the end of the finish line. You start nearing the end of, end of the finish line with the wilderness. Um, it, you know, if you ever felt the lack of presence despite being spiritually filled, living righteously and pursuing him, do not be discouraged, but be aware of your surroundings. Um, the, the reason I want to encourage all of y'all is because I think there are some people that have been in the wilderness for a long time. And not in, not in a, my life stinks, everything's been bad for my whole life. I'm talking about God has been wanting to upgrade you for so long. And the, the, the word wait on the Lord gets thrown around. Um, and what's funny is, is wait is a verb. It's not a just stagnant lifestyle. Um, I used to wait tables. You know what I did when I was waiting on people? I was watching them attentively, but I was also putting ice in the ice machine. I was making tea. I was, you know, I was baking bread. I was doing whatever I had to do in preparation for whenever they said, all right, come over here. That's what waiting is, right? We are inclining our ear to God. We are, we are being attentive to what he wants. We are being attentive to his word. We are keeping ourselves righteous before him. And what I've heard is, is peop, people say things like, I'm just in a waiting period right now. I'm just in, I'm, I'm in a time of waiting. So they'll stop coming to church. They'll stop being part of prayer group. They'll stop, they'll stop volunteering. I'm, I'm just in a waiting time. God's about to do something, but I'm waiting. And notice none of these people that I described ever stopped doing their ministry in the time of the wilderness. In fact, it just elevated their ministry to a new place. Jesus is the only example of somebody that just totally isolated himself and totally just got away from the people. But what I'm, what I'm saying is you don't, don't misplace waiting 
for being stagnant. Don't, don't stay in the waiting room for too long, right? God doesn't just want you to stay in the waiting room. He wants you to be active in life. He wants you to be ready. He wants you to be uh, attentive. So some people get stuck in the waiting period. Um, waiting does, on the Lord doesn't look like complacency, absence, melancholy. It's a time to be attentive, to prepare, and to trust. Trust is an action. We act on trust. You've probably spent more time in the waiting room than God ever intended. Just like the bike analogy, you have to keep pedaling. Don't stop. So Pastor Stephen said it a couple of weeks ago. It was like, uh, when you're going through hell, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't stay in the desert. Don't stay at the, in the desert. It's not, you're, you don't have to just learn how to live there. Don't learn to live in the desert. Learn to survive the desert and get to the other side, right? And, and getting to the other side is going to look a lot like Revelation. So the light at the end of the tunnel. You are nearing, if you are nearing the end of the wilderness, uh, you no longer wear your cares on your face, despite the fact that you're still being attacked. So that's a good sign that you're getting close to the end, is when everybody comes, when the things feel like they're, they're the attacks feel stronger than ever, and, and you just don't wear it on your face anymore. You're not depressed anymore. You don't, you, you laugh through it anymore. What I, what I told Lindsay is, she was like, what, what's something great that you got out of this last year? And, and honest, uh, honestly, what I told her is, I, we learned to laugh when things really stunk. Like, we learned how to make a joke out of thin air that wasn't even funny. But things were just so, seemed so rough and they seemed so grim that we just, we just would laugh. We would joke about the dumbest things. We didn't wear it on our faces anymore. It wasn't our burden anymore. You know you're nearing the end when you're experiencing manna, manna from heaven. We talk, we talk about this as well. As man, manna isn't just like a, a little cracker, a little, little tiny piece of bread. It's actually like this amazing, it's like, it's like some of the best bread you'd ever have in your life. Like think about manna and you see the little pictures of the birds dropping like little crumbs from the sky. It's not like that. It's like the most delicious bread you would ever have in your entire life. And all of a sudden, towards the end of, of my wilderness, is I would I'd be praying and I'd be worshiping. And, and out of nothing, out of nothing, it would just hit me. It would overwhelm me. And then it would be gone, right? It would hit me, overwhelm me, and then it would be gone. And I'd have these little moments of manna. You know you are nearing the end when you are no longer moved by things. You know you are nearing the end when you, are, when you receive a revelation. All of the wilderness alumni experienced revelation. All, every single one of them experienced something that they could take to their peers, that they could take to the, the church, that they could take to, to, to anybody who, who would listen. They were inspired and spoke the word totally out of what God showed them. In a whole new way. You know you are nearing the end when people are beginning to notice the anointing on you. When it's not just yourself. I, I hate um, self-evaluating. I hate self-evaluating because it seems like the most flawed thing to do. I do it anyway because it's a good thing to practice. But when somebody else tells you that you're doing something well, it's like, oh, okay, I really am doing it well. You know what I mean? And, and 
what I told another conversation I've had with my wife, we talk a lot, um, is I was like, man, I, I really feel like I've gone to some places this year. And and what's funny about it is I I haven't just thought that, but people have confirmed it. And I'm not saying that pat pat on my back, whatever. But I'd rather have the anointing than what I would have had without the depravity. Does that make any sense? The things that I would have had and the and the favor and the and the blessings and the and the and the training wheel faith, I I would have it would have come at the cost of an of my anointing. And wh- the biggest thing I wanted to tell you guys is, do you want? Do you really want to elevate? Do you really want to? Do you really want to move to a higher place? Because if you are, uh, uh, you know, before I uh, before I prepared this message, I said I said to Lindsay, I said, the biggest, the scariest part about preaching on this message and giving my testimony on this is it's almost like. As soon as you get to give the testimony on the thing that you went through, it's like, all right, buckle up, because there's another thing that's about to come that's even harder and more challenging. And, and, and I can't think that way because I would be selfish to not let you know that God has done some great things in my life. And in this last year, you know, we dealt with all those things. We, I, I dealt with the, the depravity. The, it, just, it just couldn't access the spirit. I couldn't get there. I couldn't, I'd go through times of prayer. I was in a Holy Ghost meeting, and I was like, Crying, not not happy crying, but like sad because I saw everybody else around me moved by the Spirit, and I just couldn't get there. I couldn't I couldn't receive it, and and all of a sudden I'm I'm starting to receive some things in God, this confidence in God that I've never had before because it wasn't about what He's giving me. It's not what about how He makes me feel anymore. It's just about who He is. Strip all those other things away. You got the wilderness, and it's just you and God. It's just you and him. And then you can truly say that I have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. You can look people in the eye and not just talk about the gospel, but you can talk about how great God is through the gospel and have that conviction in your heart you know, I, I I think about like the Rocky movies. They're they're so funny because Adrian, I did it is not that good of a line. What made it so cool is he he's beaten up. He's he's had the tar beaten out of him. What it, it, that that visual without the visual of him all swollen and everything, Adrian, I did it is not that well written of a line. But it is powerful because. That's what came out of his heart when he had nothing left. And what, what's going to come out of your heart when there's nothing left? That's the refinement. Is, there, is it going to be gold that comes out of you when there's nothing left? When you don't have anything, when it, you're not just doing it out of your own uh, intelligence? Are, are, is it, is it going to be gold that comes out of you? The, the best thing I've gotten out of, out of this time is um, whether being, being part of ministry, and this is, this, this is the important part about never, never back out of ministry because you're in a waiting time or because you're, 
you're, you're in a desert or whatever. I ha- got to give a testimony before it ever happened. I got to testify about things that haven't even manifested yet. I, got, uh, I, I told you about the text. There was one time I was about to give an offering message, and I literally got a text from this person saying, I know where you live now. I looked you up on a government website. Uh, don't, be, you know, don't be alarmed if we show up on your doorstep. I was like, all right, welcome to do <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, had to, had to go through that. But, but God was so good to me. And, and, I, and, I, and I just rested on these scriptures about how God vindicates you. There are so many scriptures about when the world comes against you, when things try to accuse you of things that you're, you never did, that God has already vindicated you, past tense. So I started talking about my vindication. I stood on the word, and these things came to pass, right? These things came to pass. Uh, the, the best thing I did in that whole time is, is I never backed away from it. There, there were other people in my same position that stopped answering the phone calls, that stopped answering the texts, but I answered everything honestly because I said, listen, I'm not just a roofing salesman. I believe in God. I believe in what I say. I, I, I told you that you could trust me and that it was true, but you couldn't trust the people that took advantage of you, and I'm sorry about that. And what was funny is there was a detective that would call me every once in a while, and finally he said, Hunter, don't worry about it. We're not coming after you. Thank you so much for telling the truth about everything. Um, hopefully this is the last time we ever have to have a conversation. You know, I was vindicated well before that phone call happened. And, and I can tell you right now it's only through God. I can tell you that, that God is, is going to touch you in ways that you've never been touched before. When you get to this place where you, you don't actually feel like he's around. So, I, um, I, just, I just believe that there's a greater anointing for this church. I believe that there's a greater anointing for everyone that's in this room that you have not stepped into. And maybe it's because you've been kind of stagnant in the desert season. Maybe it's because you've been too afraid to go into the desert season. Um, but God is wanting to upgrade this church. Uh, Miss, Miss Debbie, she, she prophesied about it. God is going to upgrade this church. This, we're, we're going to a newer, higher place, and that will only happen through that fresh oil, that manna from heaven, that, that we have to exchange our old wineskins for new, right? And what better place to do it than in the wilderness? I want God to take me to new places. I want to be, I want to be uh, somebody he uses to, to, to write great things, to, to, to sing great songs, to whatever it is, to pre- gre- preach, great, preach great messages. And I think that is only, that there's something that's found in, in the wilderness. So I want to encourage you, if you're in that place, God, God is just asking you, hey, just keep going. Keep pursuing me. Um, my uh, oh, I had one other verse, and I and I totally forgot to write it down. Um, but there's a verse in Isaiah. It's just a, saying, "Can you can you tell that right now I'm I'm doing some new things in you? That I'm creating rivers in the wilderness, rivers in the desert." 
I just rested on that that parable or that phrase. Just I'm creating. I, do you not tell right now that I'm doing new things in you? And I think the reason he says it, he phrases it that way is because it's not going to feel like you're doing it, anything new is going on inside of you. In fact, it, it's going to feel kind of like you're going backwards. But you're not. God is moving you to greater places. God is moving new life to church, church to greater places. He's creating rivers in the desert. 